some observing from last night on episode 360 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this pod is for, podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. I'm a little tired here this morning, Shane, unfortunately, or fortunately, perhaps, since it's for a good cause, having gotten a good night out under the stars. Yeah, you got to pay the piper at some point. So, you know, take it out on the on the show. <laughs> episode 360 we've come full circle we have there we go i never yeah good good call <laughs> yeah another five and you could listen to us every day of the year uh i've got some notes and some sketches but uh no real official show notes for this one so could be a little bit interesting but uh maybe we'll start with you were you, were you able to get out and do any observing after the beef wellington last night no, I, uh, I hit a wall energy wise. And, uh, as I mentioned earlier to you, uh, before we pressed record, um, I was in bed by about nine 30, uh, which was too bad. Cause certainly, you know, the sky had opened up. It's a little breezy. Um, I'm not sure how it was out at your site, uh, with all of the other factors there, you know, weather wise, but, um, it's a little breezy here in the city. So I'm not sure I would have been up for like a, a high power session. I think there would have been some vibrations, but, um, certainly a little, a little sad that I ran out of energy, but I know you and others, uh, were able to log some hours under the stars. So why don't, why don't you get into your observing? Yeah, I'll get into it. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Jim though. He, he didn't make it out here last night. Um, he's been out here a few times before he's a listener of ours and uh, had taken my astronomy course in the past, but, uh, yeah, he had some stuff going on. And anyway, just to shout out to him, hopefully uh, we'll see him out here later uh, this summer. I won't get into all all the details there, but uh, yeah, excited uh, for some good observing this fall since the summer was so darn cloudy, unfortunately. So, and I think Ian, we I, I chatted with Ian, who's an astrophotographer and a, and a listener, and he's the guy I bought my mount from. And he took off to get to escape the smoke. He went out to the Cypress Hills or something. So mm. we're waiting for the uh, astrophotos to come back from that session. So it should be pretty exciting to see. Yeah, that that part of the province seemed to escape this last wave of smoke. Uh, so hopefully he had a good night. Yeah, it was pretty terrible though, eh? Like that, that plume of smoke really hung around uh, Thursday, Friday, and even much of yesterday. It really, you and I were debating... Um, whether it would be even an observing session to be had last night uh, up till uh, mid-afternoon anyway. Yeah, yeah, there there was a lot of smoke and it was not fun. And, you know, it just, uh, this has been the year that, you know, will be remembered, I think, for a lot of the forest fire smoke, even uh, uh, Jorik, uh, was it Jorik that mentioned it? Or, yeah. Or, or Otto, I can't remember, but somebody in the Netherlands uh, was experiencing it as well from the Canadian forest fires. So um, it's unfortunate. Uh, hopefully those fires get under control and we can say goodbye to the smoke. Yeah, hopefully 5% of the Canadian forest has burned or very close to it. Definitely 5% will burn. It's so close to that number that uh, it's at 17.5 million hectares right now, and 5% will be 18.1 million hectares, and it's burning at a rate of about 0.1 million hectares every day or so, even still. So mm -hmm. I, I'd be shocked if we didn't get to the 18 million burn hectares point, which is sort of mind-blowing to think that 5% of the Canadian forest could actually burn in, in the run of a year. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. It really is. 
So yeah, we were able to get out and do some quite a bit of observing. Actually, it was about a four-hour session, and uh, yeah, we uh, we really made some some good use of it. Mike uh, came out with his twelve-inch, and Peter, who's uh, give me a bit of a live studio audience with my wife as well sitting behind me who reminded me that she's still here. So got a couple people kind of listening in, which is always fun. And Mike had his 12 inch out. I set up my 60 millimeter, but never looked through it. And Peter had his 10 inch set up. And he, um, we looked through it a bit, but mostly we hung out with Mike and his 12 inch and then did some binocular observing. Uh, one of the things that worked out quite well is Peter doesn't need to wear glasses to do astronomy. And I have, remember I bought those, they're a Cardinal seven by 35 with a 13 or 13 and a half degree field. Do you remember I got those a few years back or a couple mm-hmm. of years? Yep. Anyway, they work quite well for him. So he borrowed those. He didn't have binoculars with him. So he made good use of those and was able to, uh, to scan around the skies and, and enjoy the nice, wide fields of those. So it's always nice to have an extra set of binoculars or three kicking around. <laughs> For sure. Where did, did the guys haul the daubs up the hill or just observe, uh, you know, closer to the road, I guess. Yeah. Well, Mike just set it up right in the middle of the road. Yeah. So yeah. 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 And there's not many people around once, once we get into autumn here, uh, my neighbors were there, but, um, as mentioned before, they're all friendly to the cause. So even though my neighbors were literally 50 feet away, um, they just had a couple internal lights on that uh, uh, don't really provide any any distraction much. I mean, considering I'm in a community, um, there's no like bright white lights. It's just like, you know, an amber living room light that they had on. Uh, yeah, nothing, mm-hmm. any distraction. So right on. And you guys were able to stay out of the wind. Yeah, there was some wind. I mean, there was some wind. One thing we did uh, get a chance to try, though, it did get windy for a bit. And what we ended up doing is going up to the observatory and rolling it off. Oh, yeah. And because, you know, it's it's functional. I just don't have the telescope mounted in it at this at, yet. Uh, what we were able to do is to take our binoculars up and Mike took his on a tripod up and roll the observatory off and stand in there and do some binocular observing uh, sort of during uh, the, the windiest moments, I suppose. And that was kind of neat to just to experience uh, how well it, it worked for blocking the winds. So it was pretty exciting to try that out. Oh, good. So uh, I guess the first, first acid test passed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the first time I've observed in it with other people. I've done it myself a couple of times, but uh mm-hmm. I was curious to see what it would be like to have three people inside observing. Uh, cause that was, that's kind of what I figure would be sort of maximum occupancy. Uh, you know, it, it is just a small shed anyway, and you really can't go too much bigger than what I've, what I've done without getting into like a major facility. And it feels like a major facility already, but yeah, three people in it was, uh, was totally fine. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Peter's giving me the the nod. He was, he was in there. Mike was in there. I was in there and we had a tripod in there. And then I got like a bunch of building materials still in there, like ladders and uh, all kinds of other junk in there for, uh, for setting the observatory up. So it's not like cleaned out or anything. So it's, it's a good proxy for what it will be like with telescopes in there. So we had no problem. The three of us observing in there uh, together, it was, uh, it was totally fine. And, yeah, it was really nice. Like Mike was pretty surprised. You can see basically the entire sky. You only lose like a few degrees off the horizon, which still with the smoke kicking around on the horizon anyway, meant that you just essentially didn't see the part of the sky 
that you couldn't see anyway. So it was fine. Mm-hmm. 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 Right on. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And then we were able to, we put the drop down down so I could show the guys how, how that works. They're both taller than me, of course. But uh, for me, I can't see any external lights uh, except for a red light across the way when, when the drop down is down. Um, but they, they can just sort of hunch down a little bit. Uh, maybe an inch or two, and then then they too uh, don't see any lights. But the lights aren't aren't overly bad, and they're all far away. They're all like, I would say, more than two kilometers away. So mm-hmm. nothing nothing too crazy uh, bright anyway. And with the drop down up, the drop down is only six or eight inches, okay. so it's not, it's not like a huge difference. But uh, with the drop down up, the walls are high enough that you, but but low enough still that you can see the. Uh, all of Sagittarius, you can see like the almost the bottom star in Sagittarius, even at this time of year. If you go out on the right night, um, maybe there's a week or so there where Sagittarius will even clear the wall when with the drop down up. And with the drop down down last night, uh, you can clearly see all of Sagittarius and all of Capricornus. You don't lose um, any of those stars. You only lose about three degrees off the true horizon. And, you know, uh, oftentimes that that's just simply obscured by uh, haze or smoke or or whatever anyway typically it's not an observable amount of sky mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting yeah and then it prevents the uh, lights from coming across the way but what was what was cool about it is it's it creates the difference between making an observation and not so for example we were observing just from the road and like i said there's not really any lights around there's the odd light and then of course you have the wind and you have some just the regular ambient lights uh, around the odd light in the distance. And we couldn't see M55. And then when we went up to the observatory, put the drop down, down, and then, you know, had the binoculars in there. uh, Strangely enough, we could see M55 just barely. Like it was just on the threshold. I got to say, I'm not even hundred percent sure that, that we did see it, but we all kind of saw the same thing kind of float in and out of the field of view. Uh, but it 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 gives you uh, that much of a difference in the sky that it takes something that you can't see and makes it visible by simply just increasing that contrast, um, simply by not having the wind blowing on you and by not having any of those distant uh, lights. It's sort of surprising. It it just pumps the contrast up a little bit and makes you just that much more dark adapted. It, it does work pretty good. Hmm, right on. Yeah. So it's it's coming along. The the two. The two main things that I was worried about were getting the roof to roll, and that's working fine. And then the other thing is to keep the building tracking ambient temperature, and that's working fine. It's just uh, I need them just to finish the the regular construction work, which is putting the uh, soffits on. And there's a couple other little things. Um, hopefully, he'll be able to get to. I'm hoping by the time the snow flies, because it would be nice to get a telescope in there. Um, cause once it does get colder, certainly on a night like last night, if it had been 10 degrees colder, it would have been a much shorter session, but from inside the observatory, we, we were pretty surprised. It was probably gusting up to 30 kilometers an hour ish, maybe even a little stronger at times. And from inside the observatory, like the odd time you would feel a little bit of a breeze, but most of the time there was uh, just movement of air, but, but nothing like a wind on you, like there was outside of it. Hmm. Right on. So like Michael uh, Wright's report in the in the last email, we did uh, observe a lot of those same things, just showpiece objects and then some other stuff. Uh, 
we did take a nice long look at M31 in the 12 inch and that was just spectacular it was pretty cool um what were you able to see like any of the dust lanes any of the globulars uh anything of of note like that yeah we didn't chase down any of the globular clusters you could definitely see the dark lane and you could definitely see um i think it's like ngc 224 or something like that anyway whatever it is there's like a star cloud that's in there mm-hmm. and and just taking a, a nice long look at m32 which is the really big uh neighbor galaxy and then that little dwarf uh galaxy uh m110 so we had a nice nice view of that that was pretty mm-hmm. cool the right other on. thing yeah and then next we looked at i think that was either the first or second thing but i can't remember which we looked at first but we looked at uh m57 which is the ring nebula up in lyra and then we looked at m56 which is that globular up in lyra so that was kind of cool to kind of take a look at the ring and yeah you could really see that ring structure and it was pretty bright like I, I was surprised how good this guy got. We end up getting about a magnitude six, six one um, limiting visual magnitude last night. So it was a, it was a hair better than than I thought, and it was actually a fair bit better than even last week. So there was no sky glow around Jupiter um, once once it rose sort of more than fifteen degrees above the horizon. It was uh, it was really good uh, once you got right above you know that. Uh, that bad part on on the on the very horizon so yeah it was kind of cool right on yeah so it was nice to see the ring nebula and the globular m56 and then we also took a look at m30 there in capricornus i think that we talked about and then Mm -hmm. might put it on m2 up in aquarius okay yeah so we had a a nice view of a whole pile of different uh, globulars and then we spent a little while looking at uh, m11 and man, that orange star really jumps out in a 12-inch telescope with M11. Yeah, really, really super cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about it lots with doubles, but uh, it, I'm always fascinated when you can see some star color and no better place than like M11 where there's a lot of stars around. <laughs> yeah, and we took a look, like I said, at M55 there, which is a huge globular. I think it's like part of an old uh, dwarf galaxy that was absorbed by the by the Milky Way eons ago. And and like I said, we were just in the observatory taking a look at it with the binoculars. We didn't get a telescope on it. Um, but what we what we did notice, we went back down and, and did some more observing. And then uh, we noticed that the aurora really kicked up and there was quite a good auroral display for a while. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't even know there, uh, uh, yeah, I didn't hear about it. So this is, uh, this is interesting. I, yeah. It wasn't anything that was on, on my radar. I'm not a really big Aurora watcher, but, uh, like Peter and I were, were chatting about it and, uh, we had noted colors. Um, it started off, it was super green and then it had some yellow in it and it had these, it had some really big curtains that were rapidly moving, kind of like looked like curtains, like waving in a breeze, like coming through your window and then um it kind of went a bit turquoisey like it looked very turquoise to the eye hmm. so it had some pretty significant color to it and it was pretty active like it, like we could see it once it got dark i said because you could see it on the horizon i said that just so you guys know that's aurora because that's usually the darkest part of the sky to the northeast and into the north and you know there's not like a city up there or anything and that's kind of what it looked like almost like city glow mm-hmm. and then it 
it became more detailed. And then, uh, and then it really kicked up for maybe 25 or 30 minutes and had a lot of curtains and pillars that were stretching, oh, maybe like 40 degrees to the northern horizon, almost all the way up to Polaris at times. And then they would would really like, I think like the orientation changed. So you'd then see them as a, like they would start to wave like a curtain and then they would kind of settle back down. And like I said, this went on for about 25 or 30 minutes. It was pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah. You know, sometimes the Aurora can be a bit of a, you know, downer or, or ruin an observing session, but I always appreciate it when it does come and sometimes go quickly and, you know, you, you get to enjoy some of the beauty, but then carry on with observing. Yeah. We also looked at, I'm sure, I think I mentioned M30, but we looked at M75 and M72 uh, as well, which are globular clusters there, either in or just off of um, Capricorn. I think M75 is technically in Sagittarius, as we talked about last week. And then M72 is just above uh, Capricornus uh, in uh, in Aquarius. So they're, uh, they're nearby. Capricornus, but it was neat to to go and look at all these different globulars, and we're kind of comparing the different views and and how they each look through uh, through the twelve inch telescope. We're just using relatively low power, like up to around ninety power in the in the telescope, simply because of the uh, the wind and just the ease of finding stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, it's just really nice to nice to get out. But uh, I did a pile of sketches, but for some reason. I think just, you know, it's just so nice to be out and, and have people here and stuff that I forgot to actually note which globular was which. So I have all these sketches and I don't know which one is which. <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Maybe Mike will help me sort it out later. I sent him a text, but he's probably still a, still asleep. We uh, took a look at uh, at M33 and I, I did do a sketch of that, uh, kind of like inspired by... Uh, Michael Wright there, uh, who was talking about, you know, some of the some of the details that he was seeing in it, and I was able to see that I think it's NGC six hundred four, that really uh, bright region. Okay, the H two region in in M thirty three, but I don't think I don't think it's actually noted on my on my uh, software here, unfortunately. But I did see. I did see a couple of like the brighter bands or something. I just have my software out now and I'm trying to uh, correlate it. Yeah. So I have two marked and they're where the star clouds are. So I guess they're star clouds. And then I did see, let's see, where's this one? Just, I see the two stars. Yeah. There's like another cluster. And then I did see this, uh, this H2 region, which is just off the stars. So yeah, it's pretty cool. So M33 is the Triangulum Galaxy up in the uh, constellation of Triangulum. For some reason though, my software is putting, it almost puts like a star on all my deep sky objects all of a sudden. So I'm not sure why it's uh, doing that exactly, but that's kind of annoying. But anyway, yeah, I was able to see these these star clouds and H2, which are star-forming regions, uh, in that other galaxy. So that's like pretty amazing to see basically uh, targets that are like the Orion Nebula in our own galaxy all the way over into another galaxy. Yeah, it's always humbling when you can start to see stuff happening in other galaxies and when you start to you know, do some of that math in your head and think about distances. It's, it's a pretty neat experience. Yeah. It was nice to have the uh, 12 inch show. One thing um, we had chatted about doing 
towards the end, and, and this became our, our by far favorite observation, uh, was we, we planned to do an observation and sketch of the Vale Nebula. And okay. I, I did the world's worst sketch yeah. of, of that simply because it was just by this point, it was essentially a couple minutes before midnight. We were getting a bit tired and it was the, you know, the, the day had drug on. But uh, we we did this uh, great, great view of, of the veil. It was just spectacular. We put the O3 uh, Teleview Neb, Neb Buster or Nebustar, however you want to say it in the Masayama 32 millimeter and put that in Mike's uh, 12 inch daub. And we had about a degree and a half field of view. So we kind of had to pan across it. But when, when we put it on that, that part of the, that part of the veil that cuts through that star was just, it was just spectacular. Like the detail was just unbelievable. You could just see like this, um, like networking type filament that was just stretched right across right across the veil itself. I'm just trying to look it up here, but it's not showing up in my software for some reason. It must have something or another turned uh, turned off there. But anyway, we could see a lot of detail uh, in that wisp that kind of cuts through that star. And we could see Pickering's triangle region. And then we could see that bottom region that, that doesn't have the star. And then it has almost like this serrated edge to it and just all the different um sort of fine details that are that are located in that region hmm, that's awesome yeah it was pretty good my my sketch looks absolutely terrible though like <laughs> i was just like bagged like could hardly put the pencil to the paper by by that point and it is also you know like a bit of a challenge like because just trying to do a lot of different things and uh and then do some sketching too but it, it's always fun just to just to try to draw out what you can see. Like we certainly saw like a lot of different arms and stuff inside of the globulars and just like the different shapes and, and how they, how they can appear even at like moderate power. Mm -hmm. And then with the veil was, was just like the cherry on the cake. It was just so bright with so much contrast. It was just fantastic. So we'd actually tried for it earlier in the night, but it was in that uh, section of the sky that, it, it's difficult to point a Dobsonian telescope, sometimes called Dobson's Hole, uh, because of that. So we kind of had to wait for it to transition out of the zenith um, in order to to get the twelve inch telescope on. But when we did, it was just it was just fantastic. It was just so so contrast rich, and it just looked so otherworldly. You know, just looking through uh, the telescope and seeing that that nebula cutting through like as as bright as like a like a neon sign kind of thing yeah it was wow. it was super neat yeah. yeah yeah super neat but yeah that's uh that's what we did it was really nice to get out just simply because uh the the smoke has been so horrendous mm -hmm. here the past uh really about six weeks it's just been terrible so just to be able to see it finally clear out enough and to have uh had the big telescope set up and and be able to kind of work through some of this stuff yeah. You know, and a, a 12 inch is just such a nice aperture for a lot of those Messier objects. They, you know, just displays them well and has a wide enough field that you're able to take in some of them because they are a little bit bigger, you know, some of them compared to other deep sky objects. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know exactly. And yeah, it was really nice to have that. I mean, I've got lots of small telescopes and then uh, to have access to the uh, to the 12 inch like that definitely makes me want to get my 12 inch uh, up and running. That'll be that'll be an exciting day for sure next year when when that goes. So, yeah, it was just it was just a really nice session. Um, uh, really great to have Mike and Peter out and just hang out and do some observing. And then, of course, uh, great to have a spot like, you know, once the wing kind of ate away at us a bit. We came inside here and sat down and just uh, hung out in the kitchen. And I showed them and shared some of the other sketches that are better than the ones I did last night. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like hung out, had some water, and then, uh, you know, got rehydrated. And just being out of the wind for uh, 20 or 25 minutes uh, means you can kind of go back out and do another hour, two hours, or whatever we end up doing. I guess we did, I guess we did another two hours after that. But if if you're just out exposed to the wind constantly like that, it just it's just gonna eat away at you, and and your session is gonna be pretty short. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that was that was nice too, and yeah, it's just really nice to have the have the company because I think like it's the first time I've observed with people since, well, I guess when I was in Cyprus, but that session was so abbreviated it hardly counts. And then uh, yeah, before that it'd be grasslands. So. Hopefully now that we're into the autumn, we're into uh, more clear and transparent skies. Hopefully these fires calm down. I know most of the folks are returning back home in the regions that were uh, very greatly impacted by the fires. So at least that's good. But uh, yeah, it'd be nice if they continue to calm down and we have some clear skies for astronomy too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this is my favorite time of the year to observe where it's still warm enough that you don't really need heavy clothing, but you know, we're getting darker earlier so you can get out earlier. Yeah. Um, it's just a, it's a really nice time to be an astronomer. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's nice to be getting uh, observing reports from other people. I'm always like a bit, <laughs> it's like just running through my objects and that, that I observed. And when I'm so tired like this, never the time to kind of process them always makes it, I feel a little bit, um, poorly put together for the podcast but anyway then people can actually hear what it's like to kind of wake up the next morning having had a good night observing i suppose we had lots of coffee before doing this session and uh uh, this recording session here this morning so anyway that was nice and then we've got a beautiful day here i think we might take a jaunt down to uh to the beach in a bit so yeah should be nice awesome yeah and uh let's see did you get any observing in over the past week or so or no, no, I didn't. Um, the smoke, uh, combined with just some poor weather here, you know, uh, limited that. And then, like I mentioned last night, I just hit a wall energy wise and, uh, went to bed early. So I think I'll pull out the solar scope today. It's looking pretty good for now Yeah, and, uh, do a little H alpha observing and, uh, hopefully the week provides a few more opportunities for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully you can even drag yourself out here one of those nights, even if you're a bit tired. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Would be good. Do you want to take, I think we had a little bit uh, more of an observing report from somebody. I, I added it to the notes there. Do you want to maybe give that a bit of a read before we conclude? Okay, sure. So uh, last episode, we read uh, an email from uh, Yorick. Uh, again, apologies if we're pronouncing that incorrectly. I think that um, sounds better than me. So, okay. Uh, what we did not have was some of his detailed observing reports in that last episode, and we have them now. So this is from the Netherlands. Um, and I'll just start reading what he wrote and it says, this is an observing report for two nights, uh, last summer. 
I bought, I brought my eight inch Newtonian on vacation to Germany and found a nice spot on a lookout point on the premise of the park we were staying. Uh, so this is earlier this summer. It looks like I, I think that might be August 7th, maybe 2023. Yeah, uh, the fun. telescope was an eight inch F4 Newtonian eyepieces were all explore scientific. Uh, so the 28 millimeter 68 degree 18 millimeter, 82 degree and a 6.7 millimeter, 82 degree filter yeah. using an astronomic O3. Um, and this was in Sonnenberg, it looks like 360 meters above sea level, Bortle four seeing was a four out of five transparency was a five out of seven. Uh, moon was 56% waning gibbous and didn't rise until about a quarter to midnight and started the session late due to clouds. Uh, so Milky Way was visible at Zenith as a light band across the sky, showing a subtle darker middle division. Uh, M51 in the 28 millimeter, uh, clearly two cores in direct vision. Uh, 18 millimeter uh, M51A shows a hazy patch around the core. Spiral structure is barely detectable. Uh, oh, your highlighting is... Uh, it's kind of wild. Oh, is it, do you see that? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, spiral structure is barely detectable. The brightest lanes phasing in and out of view in averted vision. Uh, M13 with 28 millimeter was fuzzy. 6.7 millimeter strands of stars stretching out from the core. Impressive sight, but too easy an object to spend much time on under these dark skies and conditions. Yeah, we we were looking at that last night too. Peter and I were. Uh, Peter actually was talking about the those sort of bands of stars that kind of stretch out from M13, and then I went over, we took a long look at that under a few different powers, and I didn't do a sketch of it or anything. But man, I was like. I don't even know how I would sketch that. It would take me like all night, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of detail there for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, so the next object here is the East Vale Nebula uh, with a 28 millimeter eyepiece, amazingly clear and defined arc and teeth clear in direct vision. Orientation in the eyepiece makes it look like a bat. Even mm. more definition in averted vision frayed along the West Edge. Never before have I observed this target this clearly. Jaw dropping. Uh, mm. looks just like a desaturated image of the region. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the veil, Chris, is one of those objects that certainly can be photographic when observing visually. It's just not, not every object is like that, but the veil under the right conditions using a, a, you know, an O3 filter can really be astonishing. Yeah. And we were, we were talking a bit last night too, that, you know, not, and, and I do quite enjoy looking at astro images, but the, the view that you get through the telescope is, uh, it's quite different, you know, like when you're looking at M13 and you see all those chains of stars, typically when you look at an astrophoto of it, uh, it looks like a, like a giant ball of stars, but you don't, the, the all these different chains and nuances don't necessarily uh, jump out at you like, like they do when you're looking at it through the eyepiece. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, West Vale Nebula with the 28 millimeter eyepiece, just as clear as the east portion of this SNR. Crooked broomstick structure visible from the defined narrow north end all of the way to the wide strands in the south. Unclear where the southern wider region ends, bend visible northeast of 52 Cygni. 
other parts of the Veil Nebula are visible in averted vision, like parts of the cobweb in front of the telescope. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So he <laughs> I, I was, like that I think lot. he was, yeah, I think he was looking at the, uh, like the Pickering's triangle region. Yeah. We were looking at that as well. Yeah. It was quite, uh, quite visible. Very nice. Yeah. Right on. Uh, next one here, NGC 7000 uh, in the 28 millimeter first successful observation, uh, Gulf of Mexico region clearly darker with a well-defined edge. The entire nebula does not fit in the field of view, which is 2.38 degrees, uh, larger than expected. Uh, object identified in the field of view by the dark region obstructing the nebula rather than the emission nebula standing out from the background. And then the last object, I think, for this session is M27 uh, using the 6.7 millimeter uh, hourglass shape and surrounding oval haze in direct vision seems to extend dimly in two directions, east-west uh, beyond the hourglass in averted vision. And then cue the end of the session due to clouds. So yeah, I can relate to clouds ending sessions before. Uh, did you want to take the next one, Chris? Yeah, on the next one, he was observing under a Bortle 4 sky and had really good seeing and transparency, even with about a 30% moon in, in the sky. But uh, that didn't rise until after midnight. And he was uh, taking a look at M81, M82, M13. Um, sort of M81 and M82 are the two galaxies up there in Canis Major. And then M13, of course, the Globular and Hercules, and M27, the uh, Planetary Nebula up in Volpecula. And as well, I looked at the uh, East and West uh, Veil. Hopefully I'm on the, is this, I'm looking at the right one here, right? Yes, I am looking at the right one here, just making sure. So he said he used a deck chair from his accommodations to, uh, to stabilize his views, which is something that uh, we often recommend as well. I guess he was in... It's again like Sonnenberg Lewin, which I'm I'm guessing is part of Germany. I'm thinking. I don't know. I should have Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. And so he he looked at the east and west uh Veil Nebula again and was taking a look at the broom uh section. I guess some people call it like the witch's broom. And noted those wisps of nebulosity that uh, that we were looking at last night as well. But he also observed NGC six triple eight or six eight eight eight, which is the crescent nebula, and said that that was the first time he was successful at seeing that object. I think that's just the one. It's a little uh, nebulae uh, nebula just off of uh, Gamma Cygni. Um and he was able to, to see that quite well with averted vision. He also took a look at the North American nebula and the Gulf of Mexico region, really stand out. Uh, he also noted that that dark region was uh, LDN 934, Lynn's Dark Nebula 934, uh, which extended out further than his uh, 2.4 degree true field of view uh, eyepiece. He looked at the Pelican Nebula, IC5070 in the 28 millimeter, and said that was the first time he was successful at uh, at seeing that object as extending out west from 57 Sig. So that, that Pelican Nebula is just right beside the North American Nebula. It's just a little bit smaller. He said, the more I observe this target, the more it starts to reveal its structure. And he was able to see a big V shape between 57 and 56 Sig, and uh, that was pointing southeast. And then he saw a little patch of, of nebulosity towards 56 sig as well. So definitely an object worth further study. He took a look at NGC 281, which I think is the Pac-Man nebula there just on the, uh, I think it's on Cassiopeia Cephas border or Cassiopeia. Yeah, I think it's somewhere anyway in the southern reaches of 
Cassiopeia said that was the first successful observation of that object that he had as a patch of nebulosity um, around a dim star with a direct vision and that it grew using averted vision. Took a peek at Jupiter and the moons of Jupiter, as well as the great red spot. He said the disk was uh, very bright and the whole thing was a little bit low in the sky for the observation. Uh, took a quick glance at the moon using a variety of uh, different powers and said that uh, the central mounts of the Copernicus crater looked pretty good on a 34% lit moon. But the moon was still quite low in the sky and the power made it uh, shimmer ever so slightly. And then he said, and that was it, called it a night. And with that, are we ready to call it an episode chain? Yeah, I really enjoyed those uh, observing notes. Um, it, you know, everybody has their own style and, and different way of capturing what they see. And I, I just really enjoyed reading this one. It was well detailed and felt like I was right at the eyepiece with them. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. I really enjoyed getting people's observing notes. And yeah, it's a bit, uh, yeah, it's a bit tough to kind of put mine together like live and in real time, as you can see. But uh, it was a lot of fun getting out uh, last night and hanging out with people and doing some observing as well. So yeah, it's really nice. So if people have been able to get out recently, please send us in your observations and we will thread them into our shows. Should be good. Anything to add, Shane, to the show before we conclude? No, that's it, Chris. All right. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be sure to subscribe and do us the favor and share the show with other people you know. And you can always send us your ideas for shows, observations, and questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>